0: Everyone, you're listening to Ed Young Radio, Ed Pastor's Fellowship Church, and we want to thank you for listening with us. These next few minutes together can change your life, and you can always hear more by visiting edyoung.com. Enjoy the message. Well, at first glance, this fourth commandment seems rather out of place with the Big Ten. There was our sovereign God communicating the commandments to the Prince of Egypt, Moses. In the altitudes of Sinai, He's talking about, thou shalt not murder. He's saying to everyone, thou shalt not commit adultery. And talking about these important things. And then all of a sudden, he brings up this fourth commandment, this directive about a special day. And as I read this, I said to myself, what was the deal? Did did God lose his cosmic concentration? I mean, how did this one crack the top ten? Well, I'll read it for you. Exodus chapter 20, verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. During our study thus far in the 10 commandments, we've seen that God is really into remembering. He's told us to remember his position, his priority, to honor his name, and now he's telling us to remember his day by keeping it holy. What was going on here? Why did our God give us this advice? God knows us. He knows us so well because he's fashioned us and, and made us in his image. And he has a keen insight into what makes us tick and how we're to do life. So God simply says, stop working and start worshiping. God says stop pursuing all of the vocational stuff and begin to pursue me. God said get into my rhythm. In our modern day vernacular we'd say don't diss God's day. Don't diss God's day. God commands us for us to worship Him with a portion of our finances And he commands us to worship him at least one day out of seven. But we have to ask ourselves, you know, in these modern day times, does this really apply to my life? I mean, with all the problems and the pressures and the stresses that that, that we're dealing with, does this really communicate? Does this really kind of pinpoint some areas in my life? Can this fourth commandment really help me? Can it? Because obviously, this was written thousands of years ago. And the recipients of this commandment were the Israelites, God's chosen people. They were a nomadic group. They were fugitives on the run. For the Israelites, a good day was simply staying alive. If if their hearts were beating, then everything was great after a day. But we live in a different culture. Yet God's people, like many of us, struggle with this directive. Later on in the Old Testament, Jerusalem was captured By the Babylonians. And the Babylonians deported the best and the brightest Jews from J-Town all the way to Babylon. Part of that group was a man named Nehemiah, a real leader. And after a period of time, God miraculously allowed Nehemiah and some of his brothers to come back to Jerusalem to return to God's city. And when Nehemiah hit the city limits, he was appalled. He was shocked, staggered, he couldn't believe it because the Jews were doing their own thing on God's day instead of God's thing. And Nehemiah Nehemiah said, you're desecrating the Sabbath. You're dissing God's day. You're not giving God his due during this 24 hour period that we're to break away and think about him and ourselves and to really take inventory in our lives. Where is Nehemiah today? Because as you look around our culture, we're involved in the same thing, aren't we? It's almost as if our enemy has diabolically diagrammed a system to keep us away from the church, away from keeping God's day holy. Right now, you can go to any soccer field or gymnasium and it's packed with children's teams and adult leagues kicking and shooting and playing their way into oblivion. Stores and malls and markets are open right now. It's amazing, isn't it? Just to think what has occurred to the Sabbath. We've cleated it and and abused it in our culture to such a degree, now it becomes just an average, ordinary day to most people. And sadly, going to God's house for worship and giving Him His due and spending a quiet day unplugged from work is not really in anymore. It's not hip, it's not vogue. And this fourth Commandment seems to be the first thing that is easily blended into our complex culture. Where's Nehemiah when you need him the most? Because we, like the Jews, are doing our own thing on God's day instead of God's thing. Technology is great. I love it. But technology has lied to us. Wouldn't you agree? It said technology, beepers and cell phones and faxes and computers will make our lives less cluttered. Have you ever heard that before? That, that's a lie because it's not true. Think about the office place. You've got all these things going on, all of these, quote, conveniences, and it's increased the pace of work. It's increased it to such a fever-pitched level that now we've brought the office into our automobiles. You remember the days when driving your car used to be a time to chill and relax? You could listen to some music, maybe catch up on the news, or just think about things. Now, though, you got things buzzing and ringing and even faxes coming across the dashboard of the car. How about on the home front? we have all these conveniences like vacuum cleaners and microwave ovens and dishwashers. And if you do any studying, you see that Americans are spending less time on housework than ever before. So so what are we doing with all of this time? Well, we're spending it in certain areas. A lot of us are jumping from activity to activity. We're over-scheduling and over-challenging and over-stimulating our children. And we're doing it in such a rapid fire, pace, that we've taken the fourth commandment and we've blended it into our scenery. We just say, I appreciate it, God. Thanks for the advice, but I'll just go ahead and forego the fourth. I'm going to diss your day. I'm going to do my own thing, not your thing, my thing. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like I'm talking to you? It's tough, isn't it? We've got to be intentional about it to keep God's day intact. But you've got to remember something. Our God is a God of love. He's a God who is concerned about our well-being. And He's given us these directives, these 10 principles for good, for our best, so we can discover his awesome plan and agenda for our lives. Don't ever think the Ten Commandments are some limiting, stifling things that that, that really hems you in and keeps you from being the person that you should be. Just the opposite is true. When we live by these guidelines, when we stay within the guardrails given to us by God himself, then and only then will our lives soar. That's why God says, every week, stop pursuing whatever you pursue and begin to pursue God. Don't diss his day. Honor God as God. Honor him as God. Because God has this rhythm going on, doesn't it? One, two, three, four, five, six, we work. Then the seventh day, we worship him, chill, and relax. Well, let's look like at God's mentality behind this. We've kind of done the broad brush thing. What was God driving Why did he give us this Sabbath stuff? Well, let me give you two quick reasons. The first reason God gave it to us was for our own good. I just touched on it a second ago, but for our own good. Jesus said these words in Mark chapter two, verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man, not man, For the Sabbath, isn't that cool? The Sabbath was made for me, not me for the Sabbath. In a staff meeting this past week, I was told by our athletic ministry that right now, we have 56 adult basketball teams just in the fellowship church. We rent Coppell High School from about 1 o'clock p.m. Sunday afternoon until like 8.30, and games go on. We've got A-leagues, you know, guys who can rattle the rim every time they touch the ball. We've got co-ed leagues. And I hear a lot of women, especially those here who have played college basketball, are, are, are just shaking and baking on the men and, and tearing them up. We also have, you know, B-leagues, C-leagues, D-leagues, whatever. We have all this stuff going on. We also have something else in our athletic ministry that I've been involved in as your pastor. Taibo Tybo classes. Have you ever seen those things? You ever seen that infomercial with Billy Blanks? You know, it's a combination of boxing, the martial arts, and dance. I decided the other day to, to get into taibo, so I'm up here in one of the rooms on the upper deck with all these people during my lunch break, and we're doing taibo. You know, I've got decent rhythm, but man, I was out of it. I was tripping over myself and everything else trying to look at the other people, and they were out of rhythm, too. But I finally figured out something. I finally figured out something. I just stayed with the instructor. Wherever she would go, I would just follow her and do exactly what she did, you know? And then I began to get the rhythm when I followed this instructor. What do I believe God's saying? God's saying to you and to me, follow him. He is our instructor. He knows us better than anyone. And get into his rhythm. Stop working, start worshiping. Don't diss God's day. It's for your good, and it's for my good. Yet we go so fast, and we feel like if we don't cram every activity in every moment, then we'll miss out something in life. Hey, you're going to miss life itself if you don't do this fourth commandment stuff. So this commandment is for our own good. Also, it's to build our faith. God gave us this day to build our faith. Whether it's Saturday or whether it's Sunday, is to build our trust in God. Because think about it. We're shutting down for a day. We're not working. We're doing some recreation. We're worshiping. We're spending time with our family and friends, but, but we're not working. Yet God can supernaturally multiply your life and mine when we give God his due. The Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, chapter five, we have God's chosen people, the Israelites, once again ready to close the deal on this incredible tract of land, the promised land. And right before they were to walk into this land, here's what Moses did. Moses took them aside and once again he said, hey, remember number four, number four of the big 10. That's right, it's important. Because Moses knew that the Israelites would be so tempted to disk God's day. He knew they'd be so tempted to work longer hours and try to make more and more money. And he also knew that neighboring nations would trash talk the Israelites. That neighboring nations would say, what's up with that? What are you trying to do? How can you survive not working one out of seven? This God thing? Great advice, because God supernaturally multiplies your time, your resources, and your life, and your purpose when you stop and honor Him. I'm referring to something in the Old Testament, to go a little bit deeper here, called the manna principle. Turn to your neighbor and say, manna. I wanna give you a brief lesson. And and manna is, is some incredible stuff because, again, hitting on the children of Israel, talking about them because they're wonderful examples. Why? Because they're human beings, just like you and me. God, as his children were doing the wilderness wandering thing, God began to feed them from heaven. And he sent this bread-like substance that would fall in the mornings called manna. And today, in certain parts of Israel, manna still falls. I've eaten some before, that's all another story. Anyway. I'm not lying. Anyway, manna will fall in the morning. And God instructed them to pick the manna up very, very quickly. And God said, just pick enough up for a day. Because if you leave some out, if you don't pick it up before the sun comes up, the sun will melt the manna. So remember, they had to collect the manna in the morning. And the Israelites could only collect enough for that day. Well, what do you think God's people did? What do you think those Jews did? Oh, they wouldn't just collect enough for the day. They were collecting a lot, man. They were stuffing it in their pockets and socks and shoes. They wanted to get that matter. But, but after a day, it, it, it was spoil. And, and everyone could tell which Jews were the greedy Jews because they had this stench about them. Well, then God institutes the Sabbath. Back before the resurrection of Christ, it was the seventh day. And He said, hey, children of Israel, collect manna, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but before that Sabbath, before the Sabbath hits, you collect a double portion of it And as you collect the double portion of it, don't even think about going out and looking for manna on the Sabbath day, because here's what I'll do. God said, I will miraculously multiply the manna so you'll have enough to eat on the day you don't work, on the day you don't collect it. God did that for his people. God also does the manna thing in your life and in mine when we give him his due on his day. When we say, God, I am gonna stop working and start worshiping, when I disengage, when I unplug, when I draw away, when I close the shop, God begins to do a work in our lives. Isn't that exciting? You can see it all the way through the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, all the way until 1999. The Sabbath is for our own good. The Sabbath builds faith. Powerful stuff. From a loving God. I want to talk about application right now. Because we have to ask ourselves you know, how can I apply this to my life? Yeah, Ed, you've given me the definition about not dissing God's day and giving God his due on his day and to stop working and start worshiping. That's that's fine and good, but, but how, how do I really make it real? How can this revolutionize my life? How can I make the big four a part of my daily living? How, how, how? I want you to get involved in some R and R. I'll say it one more time. I want you to get involved, based on the authority of the scripture, I want you to get involved in some R and R. The first thing we're to do when we hit the Sabbath is we're to remember God. That's the first R, we're to remember God. And what does it mean to remember God? If you look at the Old Testament and the New, throughout the course of scripture, people always gather together in large communities, in large bunches, in large blocks of people to worship God. They worshiped God in the temple, in the synagogues, throughout the Old Testament, and then ultimately in the New Testament, they worshiped him in the local church. I want you to look around for a second. Because the local church is the most important entity in the universe. This is where it happens. This is where God makes his manifold wisdom easy to understand. And this is where God gives us these trans forming principles that can change our very lives. God loves the local church. And every time we come to church, God has something awesome he wants to say to you and to me. That's how much God loves it. I love what it says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 10. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to golf to antiquing, to decorating, no, 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 to the Lord your God. Yet I laugh when, when, when men tell me this one. They go, you know Ed, I get more praying done on the golf course than I ever do in church. <laughs> I like that one. Lord, keep this one in the fair way God, I need a birdie on this one to beat my friend. Please, Lord, help me read these no, Don't even go there. We are to go to church because something supernatural happens when people gather together and worship God because corporate worship inspires our individual worship. Here's what I think will happen one day. I think one day when a lot of us die and go to heaven, God will sit us down and God will say a couple things to us. To a lot of us, he'll say, You know, you received me in your life. You know, I gave you the gift of salvation, but you didn't do much with it. Because remember, becoming a Christian is a decision. And then after the decision, it's development. But God's gonna look at some of us and say, You know, you were so into all of the activities of life, you were so busy with the traveling, so busy with the teams, so busy with this and that that you dissed my day, that you didn't make church a top priority, that you didn't honor my day, and man, I had something incredible to say to you, something life-changing to say to you, something about your marriage to say to you, about child-rearing to say to you, about your career to say to you, about your finances to say to you, but, but you missed it. You missed it. Don't let that be you. Now, I'm not saying to be up here every single weekend to never miss church. But I am saying at least, I'm talking about the minimum worship requirement should be at least three out of four weekends a month. It's got to be. Because if it's not, we'll slowly begin to drift along the seas of relativism. I don't know about you, but when I miss a couple of days of, of individual worship, with God, or maybe I miss a weekend or two, I can tell it. I can feel that slow, methodical drift. We're to remember God. Isaiah chapter 58, verses 13 and 14 say, If you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way, ooh, man, that hurts, doesn't it? and not doing as you please, or speaking idle words, then you'll find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father, Jacob. Hey, parents, parents, every time you model consistency in church attendance, Every time you have your children and your students up here so they can learn at an age appropriate level the difference that Jesus Christ makes, you are speaking volumes to them. You're giving them a gift that money cannot touch. On the other hand, parents, every time you model inconsistency, every time you kind of pick and choose, every time you kind of say, well, Uh, Let me see what else is out there. Okay, uh, that's a better deal. I'll go to church, you know, maybe next month or in a couple of weeks. Every time you do that, you're modeling to your children that God is inconsistent and you're giving them an inconsistent view of our consistent God and you're helping them miss what God wants to say to them through children's church, through junior high, or our high school activities. This past Wednesday, we had... 219 junior high students here for worship. Isn't that amazing? Yet, yet, I had a parent tell me the other day this. This parent said, Well, you know, this youth stuff just doesn't fit into our schedule. (laughs) I said, Doc, man, you've got it all wrong. Since when does God fit into? your schedule. We fit into God's schedule. Every sacrifice, though, every act of discipline, every time we're up here, it is worth it. And how many times have I been greeting people in the lobby or out through one of these doors, and they'll walk up to me and say these words, I'll say, you know what, I almost slept in today. I almost played golf today. I almost wasn't here today. I almost did that weekend trip thing, but I decided the last minute, moment to come, and I can always fill in this next little sentence. And I'm so glad I did. How many times have I heard that? I'm so glad I did. We've got to remember God on his day. We've got to worship him consistently and rhythmically and regularly. Do you really have a burning desire for worship? Do you? Thursday night, I was in Los Angeles, California, speaking at a church known as the Dream Center. It's in a very, very crime-infested and rough area of Los Angeles. And as I was walking to this old gym that's been converted into a little church, I couldn't believe what I saw. Before I even walked into the auditorium, I saw a gauntlet of about 17 guys and I was told these guys were former gangbangers, pimps, and career criminals who'd been radically delivered from the streets from their lifestyle. And they were like giving me high fives before I walked in and they were like going, man, come on, preach it, Ed. We can't wait to hear what God's gonna say to you, and through you. Man, we are fired up. This is before I got in. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm not an emotional guy as far as crying a lot, but I, I started getting teary everywhere I looked. I was locking eyes with someone who'd been radically changed. I was thinking, wow, what's it gonna be like inside? When I walked into this place, I, I'm telling you, before me what was a church like I've never seen before. You, you're talking about a melting pot. You had you know, a couple of you know, the Armani-clad Hollywood crowd there, but the lion's share of people were these people, I, I mean, I- I've never seen in my life. There was groups of teenage prostitutes who'd been picked up on buses on Sunset Strip who'd been led off to this church. There, there were people who had been involved in all of this crime and, and sin and, and while the band was playing this ethnic music that just rocked the house. Everywhere I turned, I saw someone who'd either been delivered from a hellish existence or someone who was involved in it during that service. I mean, people were freaky in there. But man, they were fired up. And these people, this L.A. International Church, they have some kind of church. These people are desperate from the loneliest street person to the leader of the 18th street gang. They are desperate for worship. They wouldn't miss worship. They were hanging on every word, every note of every song. Why? Because they give God his due because they know how to remember God as God. They understand how to respect His position, His priority, His name, and His day. And I thought, what's it like in Dallas, Fort Worth? What's it like in our church? What's it like in people who walk the doors of Fellowship Church? Do they have that same mentality? And I said, God, do I have it? Do I? I always laugh when people tell me this. Man, Ed, Fellowship Church is really big. It's a big old place, man. There's a lot of people at the Fellowship Church. I right, you got 7,000 people coming on the weekends. Wow, that's just really big. I don't know, it might be just a little bit too big. Well, if you do some studying, just a casual study of the uh, New Testament, a lot of the early churches mentioned there had 50 to 75,000 people in attendance. They worshiped together in large communities on the weekends. So our church compared to those New Testament churches, this is a little punk church, small church. country. don't worry about the size. You worry about your life and your life and the size of your heart. God will take care of the rest When you come to worship God, don't just stop at the corporate thing. Corporate worship is commanded, Hebrews 10, 25. Do not turn your back on the gathering to gather of believers. Corporate worship is in stone. We've got to do it. You can't do this one-on-one thing with God. Also, though, we're commanded to worship him daily. And when I worship God daily and when I worship him corporately, that's when everything clicks. That's when I have octane for true and successful living. So remember God, remember God on his day. Remember him. Don't turn your back on worship. Here's the next R. Refocus. We remember God. Then the second R is we refocus. We refocus on ourselves. We recalibrate. We rethink who we are, what really makes us go and flow. For example, how many of you have ever worked in a store where, where, where the store made you take inventory? You ever, you ever done it before? Like you've taken inventory? Only about five or six? <laughs> and that's not that fun, is it? You go through and, you know, what's on the shelves? The shelves empty. i got to, you know, order more of this or we have too much of that. And it's a, it's a real time where you have to account for everything in the establishment. That's what God challenges us to do on the Sabbath. While we worship God, as God, we're to take stock, we're to take inventory, we're to ask ourselves some tough questions. God, are my spiritual shelves empty? God, is this relationship really stocked? God, do I need to order some more of endurance or some more power? God, you help me, you show me, you tweak me, you change me. God, I am clay. You are the potter. Show me how you want me to act and to function in life. Boy, there's power in that when we break away and just remember God and then we refocus on ourselves. Part of remembering God's day is also being with your family and friends. Part of it is finding maybe a recreational pursuit or something that relaxes you. Whether it's a walk in the park, singles with your girlfriend or fiance, if it's riding around in the pickup truck with your family, if it's shooting baskets, if it's fly fishing, whatever it is, find something that presses tranquility into your soul. Find something that you do differently because you remember God said, if you read on in Exodus 20, that he worked and then he did something different on the seventh day. He rested. And we're gonna do something different on the seventh day. But it's not called the seventh day for us anymore, is it? Because Sunday is the first day and we celebrate Sunday the first day. Why? Because Christ came back from the grave on the first day. That's why believers do it. But again, I say don't get into all this legalistic stuff, you know. Oh, I, you know, I, I can't pick up this because it's considered work. Or I, I can't walk over there, you know, and throw a pass to my son. Or I can't do this. Don't, don't, don't get in the legalistic trip. All the people in Jesus' days, all the Pharisees and Sadducees were so legalistic on the Sabbath. Man, they, they, they had everybody wigging. They, 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 were, they were freaking out. They had these crazy rules. And, and, and this, was, this was listed in this book called the Mishnah. And, and that didn't do it. Remember God? And refocus on yourself. Remember God. And refocus on yourself. Psalm 62, verse 5 says these words. It says, I find rest in God. Only he gives me hope. What did God say? I ask you, what did he say after creation? It's bad. It's so-so. What did he say? Let me hear it. It is, I can't hear you good God said it's good so he worked and he looked back over his shoulder and said it's good that's part of refocusing we need to mirror the character and nature of God after we've worked once we disengage and begin to worship God as God we need to look back over our shoulders and do an account an inventory and ask ourselves this one question is it good Is it good in my relationships? Is it good in my walk with Christ? Is it good in my thought life? Is it good in the places I go? Is it good? Because if we can say it's good, if we can give ourselves a high five, man, it's good. But if not, we can begin to do some change and to work on some areas. And that, my friends, is the importance of number four. But before we close, I've got to warn you. I mean, I have really got to warn you because this, this, this Sabbath stuff is not easy. Let's just talk for a second. It is tough. You know what's a difficult thing for me? And I'm a pastor. I've gone to a Christian school, seminary. I've done doctrinal work, studied the original languages, grown up in a pastor's home. But you know what is difficult for me? Praying. Praying is a challenge. So we're thinking, well man, you're a pastor, pray. Don't you pray every day? Don't you pray every minute? It's difficult. Do you know why? The enemy knows what happens when Ed Young begins to pray. The enemy knows what happens when Ed Young begins to individually worship God. The enemy knows when Ed Young goes to church and rubs shoulders with other brothers and sisters, what will happen in Ed Young's life. The same is true for you. That's why it's hard to pray. That's why it's hard to read the Bible. That's why our mind begins to wonder. Satan knows, man, I better get this guy thinking about something else. I better get this girl thinking about this. That's also why we have so much competition for number four, for the Sabbath. The enemy is not going to sit back and dangle his toes in the pool, sipping Perrier and say, oh, go ahead, worship God. That's right. Remember him. Good. Mm -hmm. Refocus. He's not going to do that. But every time, see, this is why Satan is dumb. This is why he's stupid. When when Satan attacks you and me, that should tip us off to say, oh, oh, you just tipped me off. Now I know this is really important. This worship stuff, this fourth commandment, it's real big. So that's why it's tough. I just want to sit down and share that with you for a second. So how do we, again, obey the fourth. How do we make it real and relevant and pure? Simply to do the R and R thing, to remember God and to refocus. Because I'm telling you something, friends, when you do that, when I do that, our lives will have a spark, they'll have a direction, a purpose, a spirit of peace and tranquility that this old world can never, ever offer or even come close to so don't forego number four give god his due on this day because you'll be glad that you did thank you for listening and thanks to all who give so generously to this ministry it's because of you that we can continue this show and equip people with the hope of heaven You can click the link in the description to support the show or visit edyoung.com. There you can also be resourced with bonus content for free, including a daily devotional. We also encourage you to share the message today with those around you. Thank you again for listening. God bless.